Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Imagine the feeling of pulsing electric shocks. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Okay, well, as promised, I am back and we're going to continue on the topic of my housewife's trajectory and what took me to this point and what I think about things that are said about me and me going back and we're going to keep getting into it. So when I left, I really left. I did not want to go back. That was not where I wanted to be. And I'm not, you know, believe me, I'll rip somebody like the best of them. It just wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be doing the gotcha. And, you know, Bravo and the production company and all these people will say it's four months of work and it's a lot of money for the four months of work. But anybody who's on The Housewives know knows it's not four months of work. It's four months of shooting. Then it's doing a reunion. But now, way more than then. Then it was more like four months of shooting. Now it's four months of shooting, eight months of defending yourself, preparing for the, for the fall, talking about editing, doing press to promote it, doing press to protect yourself, doing press to trash other people, doing, you know, it, it, it's endless. It's year round. You shoot the show, then you panic for a while and finish doing what they call pickups, which is doing those interview bites for a while, freaking out, still harboring resentment. Then the show, then you have to promote the show. So then you have to do all the press to promote the show. And that's a whole other shit show too. If you don't want to be sitting down promoting the show with certain people, you want to do it, you know, on your own or however, that's a whole thing. And what shows people get picked for, meaning I would get the Today Show, someone else gets this. Why do I do Ellen? Why don't we, you know, that's a whole competition. And across the whole franchise, the competition is fierce now. Okay, I'll get to that, but I, I don't want to forget it, so I'll just say it. It's fierce now. I have had people from all of the different franchises say to me, oh, well, they sent me to here. They sent me to another country pr to promote it. They had me do it alone because I'm the only one doing this. Just me and this person are doing this cover. It is cut. It is competition like you can't believe. It is not women supporting women <laughs> at all. It is women... <laughs> supporting women on television or women saying they're supporting women or women pretending they're supporting women. It is every woman for themselves. It is this way across the board. There are a few exceptions. I will say that Tinsley happens to be a nice person 
who literally like doesn't really like to be in the fray. She's an operator. She's got her own game she's running and she's got her own brand of game she's running, but she's not in there to like kill or be killed. Um, that's just somebody who jumps off the page. I don't know everybody from every other season. I know that um, on Atlanta, I respect the fact that they will go fucking all the way. It is not just the tip. They will say whatever they want. There are They do not edit themselves. The things that they say behind your back are 90% the things they'll say to your back. I respect that. I've always respected that. The other end of the spectrum is the Beverly Hills Housewives. They do the opposite. I've been in a crossover episode. I was in that episode when Erica came over to my house. They were all telling, sending me things ahead of time that she was in, sending me sexy videos that she was in. They were telling me about her, rolling their eyes. That wasn't the caliber of person they wanted for Beverly Hills. They also thought she was was boring. They brought her over to my house and they hadn't said a single thing to her face. They wanted me to be the person that said what they were thinking. I got it. And I understood from the, why the producers wanted that as well. They tiptoe the most. The Beverly Hills housewives are terrified to say what they really feel. They have to say what is politically correct and what will not be taken, uh, you know, wrong. They are the most calculated in that regard, the opposite end of the spectrum of, um, Atlanta. They have the big houses and the hair and the costumes and the bags and the, the, the money porn that that's entertainment so they can get away with. New York, we had, you know, most people have small shitty apartments. So you've got to really survive on, you know, what's coming out of your mouth. You don't have the same kind of like money porn. Uh, most people don't have the same real estate porn, you know, and you have other cities like Atlanta that do have real estate porn because their houses are much less expensive by nature of the real estate market. They're in the suburbs of Atlanta. So a $2 million house there could be 18,000 square feet where a $2 million house in New York City would be, could be 1,200 square feet. So like, you know, this, these are the things that have to be balanced by, by, by Bravo. You know, you got to show big houses. So in New York City, that's not as easy. So you have to have people that might be really witty or willing to go there. In New York, women are pretty much will, willing to go there, not quite to the level that Atlanta will go there, and they're not as restricted as, 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 as a group like Beverly Hills. But I come from when people weren't, weren't wearing costumes. I remember Andy Cohen walking into my house it was going to be like the Eagles hell freezes over tour. I was never coming back. I never wanted to come back. I didn't want to do it. I forgot what I was doing. I was doing my talk show. I was doing other things. I just was happy with my life. I was making money. I was being paid seven figures a year just by my cocktail, even after selling it. You know, like things were good. I was writing books. It was good. You know, I, I, I'm not a person who I don't want to do. I don't want to take every dollar off the floor. I just want to always have balance and be happy and we'll do another show on balance. But, um, so I, I just didn't want to do it. Andy Cohen came and he came to my kitchen and I was pitching him another show and he's like, well, I'm going to pitch you this. And he wanted me to come back. We didn't know about the ratings then. They used to not tell us ratings. There were no ratings. We had no idea what the ratings were. Once we started to realize what the ratings were, we were finding it out on our own. Bravo wasn't even telling us. I used to send emails I used to send emails on everyone's behalf to Bravo being like, we deserve to know what the ratings are. And if we do well, we deserve to know that we've done well. You don't want to hide the rate. They used to want to hide the ratings from us. So we wouldn't know how well we were doing. So we wouldn't ask for more money. And all the girls will, will verify this. You know, we used to talk about it. And, and finally, they had to just tell us after years of me emailing them. Shed will tell you that. Bravo, I've got the emails. I've got the receipts. I used to be like, tell us what the ratings are. And when we do well, we should be rewarded. Well, they won't, they won't admit that, that part. Um, and he came into my kitchen and he said to me, and this is something for negotiating. He said to me, um, come back. And I said, I'm coming to you with a number and that's it. There will be no negotiating. Now you have to understand any of the girls can also tell you what it's like to negotiate with Bravo. They're not playing any games and, and I, to, I don't blame them because they are, um, I'm the, I'm the one who came up with the terminology, housewives are jelly beans in a jelly bean jar. There's a bunch of them. And, you you know, when I was negotiating, when I was leaving after three seasons, there was Jersey, there was Atlanta, things were doing well. And other, they didn't, you know, I didn't have a lot of negotiating power and I didn't negotiate. And I just took my last third season and said, fine, I'll take whatever money I took because I also knew I had a spinoff. 
which, by the way, was at the time the highest rated series premiere in Bravo history. It was a very big success for three seasons. So, and I wanted that to do well. So, negotiating with them, you know, they've got all the leverage. All the girls need the money and the relevance, so they, they really don't have any leverage. They pretend they have leverage. They think they have leverage. They fight to the end. Then they give Bravo an ultimatum. Bravo calls their bluff. The girls say they're walking away. Bravo starts shooting. The girls crawl back and repeat. Every season, girls band together. Then one girl gets scared. She walks away from the other girls she banded to together with now she now everybody has less power they literally you could write a book on how terrible bravo talent is at negotiating and bravo will confirm this as well one season one of the girls said i want to make one dollar more than bethany is making and or i'm not coming back and bravo laughed folded their hands and said fine don't come back then the girl came begging back because she had broken away from her negotiating team and had no leverage and bravo knows that they all need it they need the money they need it so it's just like the war you could do a course in Harvard on what not to do about negotiating. But I said to Andy, I will give you a number. There will be no negotiating back and forth. That's my number. And actually, I now know that I'm $25,000 lower than they would have given me per episode for that negotiation. But I wanted to not go back and forth. I don't negotiate like that in general. I like to say what I need to get paid. I don't play games. I don't say I want to give 10, but I'll t- I want 10, but I'll take eight. I say the number I need. I told Andy the number I needed. They came back. A contract was signed. A contract was signed in the way that I could do it with regards to my excruciating, horrific divorce as it pertains to my daughter. I was making... I was able to state the terms there need terms there needed to be. I came back to the housewives on different terms, not only legally with the other women, because I ran into one of the girls at Soho House and she said to me, please say you're coming back. I ran into one of the newer girls between Heather Carroll and Kristen and they said, please say you're coming back because Sonia will admit she's the only one that will actually admit that she emailed me to say, please say you're coming back. Everybody was saying they uh, asking me to come back because whether they loved me or hated me and most it was the latter. The show had tanked and they wanted good business. They wanted good business and they wanted me back. That made me feel good. I came back. It separated me. No one expected us to be all paid the same, treated the same. It just, they just wanted a good show. And it was good for me personally. And Lauren Michael said it best when he said to me, you have to sometimes make an exit to make an end. You have to make an exit to make an entrance. I didn't do any of this on purpose, but it happened. I walked away. It made me higher in demand. They wanted you back. I came back. This was exciting, unexpected. Um, It may seem funny to you. It's just so unique that I would be so fascinated by their story. But wow, what a fascinating story it is going to be. My guests are Ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield. Yes, the Ben and Jerry. They share with me how a failed attempt at getting into medical school and a failed pottery career led them into the world of specialty ice cream in a way that no one had ever seen before that continues to this day. They started with just one small shop in Vermont, and their famous ice cream is now sold all over the world. I promised them we wouldn't do a gotcha interview, but I still got the dirt on the only disagreement they've ever had, and it's a dramatic one. Their success has been built around one important thing. Chunks. It's a very chunky interview. I can't wait for you to hear it. Okay. So who is Ben and who is Jerry? I'm Jerry. It used to be that Ben had the beard, but we switched several years ago. Okay. So you are childhood friends. How old? Well, we met in seventh grade gym class. Uh, we were the two slowest, fattest kids in class. We met running around the track. Actually, Jerry and I were walking. And you have been actual best friends ever since? Hard to believe, huh? Unbelievable. Like a, like a lifelong marriage. I mean, it's unbelievable. Um, and what were, where, where did you grow up? Oh, Brooklyn. Well, we were born in Brooklyn. We grew up uh, on Long Island in the town of Merrick. I know Merrick because I lived in Rockville Center. Oh, yeah. And Merrick was, this, I think, the first or second sushi restaurant in Long Island in like the 70s. Yeah, they, there weren't no sushi when we were there. I can tell you that. Yep. South Shore, Long Island. You don't have the accent. No. 
somehow or other. Uh, it seemed like South Merrick people had the accent. We were North Merrick people. You were North Merrick people. Okay, was that, because um, in Great Neck on Long Island, there's North and South, and South was, it's still upper middle class or middle class, but it was lower socioeconomic. So were you in, were you both uh, of means growing up or uh, struggling? I would not describe us as of means. Would you describe us as of means, Jerry? Not particularly, but for us, the difference between South Merrick and North Merrick was the kids in South Merrick were the fast kids. They they were like uh, they knew what was going on. They were hip. And the kids in North Merrick were like clueless. And that's that's where Ben and I found ourselves in the clueless bunch. Got it. Like in gym class, it sounds like. Did you grow up in from similar families? Like, did you have the same sort of cultural messaging around you? Meaning, were your parents very driven? Did they say, you know, you have to have a solid work ethic? You have to always have a job? Like, what about that? Well, uh, let's see. My father was a hard worker. He was a workaholic. Uh, he was an auditor for the New York State Department of Audit and Control. Uh, he audited school districts uh north of new york city he found that um the person who was stealing the money was usually the little old lady who was watching the petty cash then he became a um you know kind of the general manager of a direct mail printing and advertising and mailing company and you know he used to he used to talk about his business management issues at the uh, kitchen table. And that was kind of an education for me. Did you want to be a business person? No, I, of course, wanted to be, uh, you know, a policeman or a fireman or a carpenter. And my parents really, or uh, eventually, I think I wanted to be an electrician. And they explained to me, no, you don't want to be an electrician. You want to be an electrical engineer. You know, I kind of like working with my hands. I liked uh, photography. I was very good at extracurricular activities, but I I wasn't very good at uh, school. I Mostly I had a hard time motivating myself to do my homework. I get it. I do get that. And you, so you were the, there's, there's in my um, cocktail brand, Skinny Girl, I was the creative and the marketer and the vision and my partner was the operations guy. So you, Ben, were the, creative and not that you're both not creative we'll get into that but you were the creative in your business i was the marketing guy and jerry was the guy who made all the ice cream oh so jerry was operations ben ben is 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 of course being a little modest he's incredibly creative and uh he he created everything but you know so going back to growing up uh I think education was important for me. And the message I got from my parents was, we don't care what you do as long as you're happy. We're going to support you no matter what. You know, it was one of these, we love you no matter what sort of things and very non-directive. And that that might have been a little different from the message Ben was getting. Yeah, I, I, I think the message I was getting was that uh, you should be a lawyer. Right. So they were. So your your parents are more financially focused, which is interesting. Your parents are more financially focused, and you were the creative. And Jerry's parents were more just be happy and live free. And you ended up being the operations guy. So that's that's interesting to me. Um, I read something that one of you worked at Saratoga Springs Racetrack. For those listening, the oldest racetrack in the country. I grew up going to Saratoga in the summer because I grew up in a, a horse racing family. My father was a Hall of Fame horse racer, wow. uh, trainer. My yeah, my father was Bobby Frankel. He was in the Hall of Fame as a trainer. My stepfather, John Paracella, was also a very successful horse trainer. So we spent every summer in Saratoga. Wow. We do a separate podcast on how that place has changed. But I remember from being a kid, I guess I've always been brand aware. My whole life, I've always noticed everything. I, to this day, I notice every restaurant, every sign, every font, every menu. And I remember that bench on that corner, not far from Mrs. London's, I think, in Saratoga at Ben and Jerry's. And that was the first time I ever saw the brand. And that was a thousand years ago. And reading the reading today, I realized that that was early on in your brand. It started in Vermont and that wasn't far behind, right? 
Yeah, I think that was like the first or second franchise shop that we opened. It was owned by a friend of ours from high school, Jeff Durstowitz. And uh, I was very involved personally in, uh, in you know, helping to uh, construct that, um, that shop and design it. It was, it was in an old gas station like our original and you, shop. Ben used, to, <laughs> ben used to work at Mrs. London's a long time ago. It was one of the many jobs he got fired from. Yeah, you know, yes, I was a Pinkerton guard at the Saratoga racetrack. Uh, you know, they gave me uh, a holster uh, with no gun in it and a, and a badge and a whistle. And uh, my job was to guard the Traverse Canoe. You're probably one oh of the few God. people yep. I've told this story to that is aware of the Traverse Canoe. And Traverse is a big race like the Kentucky Derby of, Sa- of Saratoga on the third Saturday in August. Wow. Yes. Know, so they had this canoe painted in the colors of the jockey's uniform who won the Traverse. And it was located in a little man-made pond behind the tote board. Well, you got to be a cop. You wanted to be a cop, so you got to be yeah. a cop. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine the feeling of pulsing electric shocks. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. So uh, the two of you get together 
And how do your roles, well, first of all, how do you come up with the idea for your business and how do your roles get defined? Because people listening are working in businesses, running their own businesses. A lot of them are interested in just the food space and having an idea and it coming to fruition. I just want to kind of understand your dynamic in the fruition, the idea, how it came to fruition, and then how does everyone fall into who they are in this building of a brand? You know, it's it's funny, Bethany, because when you describe it, you're making it sound like there was a lot more thought and planning that went into it. I but get it that. Was... Same for me. <laughs> no, 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 I get that. And that's good for people it to hear. It was nothing like that. I mean, we, we, we started an ice cream shop because we were failing at everything else we were trying to do. I uh, tried to get into medical school and got rejected from all the medical schools I applied to. Ben was trying to be a potter and nobody would buy his pottery. And we just decided to open up an ice cream shop because we had always liked to eat and we thought we would do something with food and we just picked ice cream. Got it. Could have been anything. It could have. We thought about other things. We thought about bagels. It could have been bagels. We thought about a fondue restaurant. We thought about a rotisserie restaurant. Well, that's a great point. And I, I agree. I just wanted to have a low calorie margarita. It wasn't all that deep. And then exactly it could have been 10 other things that I care about. But do you believe that um, had it been now knowing who you both are and how you both fell into business and you didn't know you were entrepreneurs and you are undeniably entrepreneurs and we'll get into that you did it in your own caring way philanthropic way. We'll get into that. But do you believe that if you had had a bagel store or a fondue store or whatever these other ideas were, that it would have been successful? Now, knowing what you know, that it was ice cream. Not not near as successful. I, I think that um, America has a very deep love affair with ice cream uh, that's way beyond whatever they've got with bagels or fondue or uh, rotisserie roasted foods or crepes. Uh, Thank goodness for that, right, Ben? So there could have been a luck. So that's the luck part. Luck. Oh, yeah, there's definitely definitely a bunch of luck. Uh, and we ended up getting into an industry that was growing quite rapidly at the time, the, the super premium ice cream industry. And the way the way we got into our roles, you know, Ben, Ben was creating all the flavors and I was making the ice cream. And it was because I think Ben knew what he wanted in ice cream. Uh, he wanted big chunks of cookies and candies and he wanted very strong flavors. And I was very comfortable with routines, you know, sort of making ice cream, doing the same thing over and over. I'm not creative at all. And so I think we just kind of fell into what we were doing based on what we enjoyed. You know, Jerry keeps on saying he's not creative, but it was Jerry who came up with our best promotion of all time, which was Pop Sid Bisway, the penny off per Celsius degree below zero winter extravaganza. <laughs> the colder it gets, the more you save. For every wow. degree below zero Celsius, we would take a penny off the cost of a cone. And, you know, at the time, a penny meant something. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the cone cost 55 cents. Got it. When it was really cold, you could get one for 40 cents. It was a brilliant concept. I think I think the actual execution or success of the program was it didn't live up to what it could have been for whatever people reason. People were not streaming in the door when it was 20 below zero. Yeah. But it at least let people know you were still around when it was 20 below zero and it was marketing. Yeah, you should have been around for the big January white sale that we had. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. What was it? Uh, 25 cents off anything white we had in the store. Vanilla, white Russian, <laughs> whipped cream. <laughs> that's, hilarious. that's hilarious um well but it was so you were the formulator it sounds like you were sort of the chemist you were formulating and then and then you were executing the duplication it had to be you know that, that it was gonna that it was gonna work so you said premium ice cream became a big thing and sometimes i think people wonder myself included so i'm in the salad dressing category and some people are wondering whether they should be baking cookies and it's so crowded or salsa if you go to the food and wine show there's fifty thousand types of salsa and olive oil so how much is when things are competitive in a market good and when it's too much? Meaning you were noticing that the premium ice cream ca uh, category was becoming more relevant, but in some cases that might scare somebody away because there's so much competition. But by the same token, you want there to be 
it to be relevant and there to be a conversation to be had in society. So how do people know how to gauge that? Like when to jump into a crowded category, but there's room for more people, room for more products. Well, we were certainly not jumping in with our eyes open. I mean, we, we were not aware that it was a growing category at the time. Uh, I mean, I, I think you just got to do something that you're passionate about and that uh, and that has a point of difference. Hopefully, the point of difference is that it's really good, uh, unusual, that, that it's, a, you know, you need to find a void in the marketplace and let that be your niche. And I, I think that in terms of kind of like least cost stuff or stuff that's average, it's really hard for a small company to compete with big companies in that area. Big companies are always going to do, be able to produce stuff at uh, a lower cost, but they have a hard time producing really high quality stuff. How do you honor the integrity of the brand, the initial culture of the brand when it's growing, when you need to make your margins, when you need to be competitive? How do you both manage to do that? Or how have you managed to do that? How can people do that? I think Ben is uncompromising when it comes to quality. Uh, I remember in the early days when, uh, you know, when we were this little company that had no resources, no money. And if if the ice cream didn't come out perfect, Ben would say, we got to dump it. And people would go, we can't afford to dump it, Ben. I mean, we can't do that. And there was no question in Ben's mind. Uh, you, you cannot afford to not be doing your best. So there's that element. And then, you know, Ben, ben has also <laughs> spoken very eloquently about the inexorable drift towards the mainstream, mm -hmm. uh, how, you know, everything sort of pushes you to become more like everybody else and for you to lose your difference and to lose your quality, not just around the quality of your product, but around so many different things. Well, I hear every day in all the different categories that I am, I hear, well, this is trending and we're seeing a lot of this right now. And it literally makes my skin, my, my hair stand up on end because I don't want to do what's trending and what's, you want to keep your own clear point of view. And it's not that easy to do because partners are scared. Retailers are scared. Other people want you to sort of just go with the flow. And that's how you become a diluted version of yourself. When I spoke to Cameron Diaz, she and her partner were saying that in their relationships at home, if something is really important to one person, then the other person goes in that direction. So I'm wondering if that applies to business. Have you two butt heads or you literally just have always had this copacetic kumbaya relationship? I mean, if one of you is really serious about something like throwing away the batch and it's really important, does the other one just fall in because it's that much more important to that person? It's amazing you bring that up because that was how we've operated. We we always and it was it wasn't unspoken. It was absolutely agreed that if somebody felt really strongly about something, they would get their way. I, I can't even think of times, well, maybe one time uh, where we both felt strongly about something. Uh, but by and large, uh, it was extremely rare when we when we butted heads. You know, the, the big disagreement we've had that that we always talk about was the size of the chunks in the ice cream. Who ben won? won well, Ben won. First of all, he was right in retrospect. It's easy to say that in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Hindsight 2020, right? Yeah. Or even even better. But yeah, and and this comes back to being the creative person that Ben was. And this comes back to me being the operational person who was making the ice cream. Ben wanted big chunks of cookies and candies in the ice cream. He always said, uh, people don't care if they get a chunk in every bite, as long as they know there's a big chunk coming. And ah. I would say, no, Ben, we need a much better distribution of smaller chunks. That's, you know, so people know what's in there. And, you know, at the same time, I was the guy making the ice cream. And I can tell you, it is a lot harder putting big chunks. I know in the machinery. Cream. I was thinking about that. The machinery for it to get through the like extrusion process or something, right? I mean, Bethany, we've been making ice cream at Ben and Jerry's for over 40 years. You know, the hallmark 
well, one of the hallmarks is these big chunks of cookies and candies. And there's still no other ice cream company putting in big chunks. It's that hard to do. Wow. Ben, so and back in the old days when I was doing it, you know, uh, yes, I thought, yeah, people want more smaller chunks. But at the same time, it was making my life really uh, it wasn't hell. And right? more expensive, I, mean, I would imagine. It, I don't know. What do you think, Ben? Is it more expensive putting in big chunks? It's not more expensive unless you put in more of them. Oh, okay. So it was like a surprise. I got it. You know, the, the, the original uh, discussion was about should we have a larger amount of smaller chunks or a smaller amount of larger chunks? And eventually what we agreed on was a larger amount of larger chunks. So these are the little, this is the, you know, this is the weeds that you sometimes get into. And it sounds like you could have your, the advice could be the same for a marriage as it is for your business marriage. If it's important to you, it's important to me. So it sounds like oh, that Ben was- Ben used to go around saying a chunk is not a chunk unless it's a chunk. <laughs> and, you know, that That's uh, on the surface, it doesn't seem like there's a lot there. But I can tell you <laughs> there's a lot lurking there. I love that. OK, you are still both involved in the brand uh, on sort of advisory levels, right? I think what we like to say is we're we're employed at Ben and Jerry's. We're not involved in management or operations. But if they do well, you still both do well. Actually, it's not like that at all. We (laughs) I don't think uh, we do any better whether the company sells a lot of ice cream or not much ice cream. We kind of do the same. So do you think that um, has the brand been preserved in the way that it initially was um, incubated and does it feel like the culture is still there and the quality and the way that you envisioned it? So Ben and Jerry's was acquired by this larger company, Unilever, uh, a little over 20 years ago. Uh, And Unilever is this very large consumer brands product that has all sorts of personal care brands and food brands. So they make Hellman's mayonnaise, Dove soap, uh, you know, we always like to joke that uh, on the same day they bought Ben and Jerry's, they also bought SlimFast. So, you know, they've got a really good sense of humor. Uh, you know, I so it's been 20 years. I would say for the first half of that time, it was really difficult. I think Unilever and their leadership did not understand Ben and Jerry's. They didn't really appreciate what made it what it is. And then, you know, probably about 10 years ago, there was a great, CEO at Unilever, Paul Pullman, who retired just a few years ago, and he's very committed to sustainability. He understood the values of the company. And I think at that time, uh, Ben and Jerry's started to thrive again, both in terms of the product and in terms of the social mission. Uh, you know, and, and one thing we haven't really talked about, Bethany, is is the social mission oh, of the company. Oh, we're getting there, 100. percent But yeah. but and, and the only reason I mention is because the success of the company is attributable at least as much to the social mission of the company as it is to the quality of the product and and the flavors and the chunks themselves. That you can't really separate them. They're all. They're all part of the the mash. Well, I agree because it's not just because there are obviously two names attached, but there's a feeling to the brand where you feel like the brand has a soul. And not every single person knows the mission and all the philanthropic work you've done and how you've treated your employees, which we can get into, and the culture. But there's something about the vibe of the brand that indicates that, that it's sort of like a feel-good, nice person, good person not capitalism brand. It just always felt like that. And I just think that came through in some of the flavors and, you know, just the sort of the deadhead vibe and just the giving back and the campaigns and all that. You know, a lot of that was Ben too. You know, Ben, Ben, uh, you know, so the company started out very countercultural because I think Ben and I were kind of countercultural. But the other thing about Ben is he's, completely anti-authoritarian, which is part of his charm. (laughs) And I think, uh, you know, that was that was built into the company very early on. 
how do you be non-entrepreneurial type people and change with not only the times, but like, you know, you have to be more corporate, more HR, more, you need a grown up in the room who's smarter than you to just have these conversations that are not, you're not naturally inclined to have, which it's, I've read about both of you and it sounds like you went through that. So how do people navigate these growing pains? Your ice cream makers, you're doing well, you're making money, people like it. Like, so how did you navigate that arc? Yeah, you know, I, th- I, I think the way you're talking about it is exactly the way to do it. I mean, so for Ben and myself, I think it was recognizing the things we were good at. And also that means recognizing the things we were not that good at. Uh, you know, Ben and I are wonderful, caring, creative people, et cetera, et cetera. We're not managers. We uh, were not good with policy and procedure. And, and so we needed to bring in great people and a team to do that. And, and I think the, one of the critical aspects of that is finding people not just who have those skills, but people who share the values yes. and the culture that you bring. And I'm, I'm sure you could talk a lot about that. And, you know, it's got to be a fit. So both of you are not, quote unquote, uh, managers or those type of process oriented people, although you're more process oriented. But um, do you both have a very serious work ethic, like get it done and work, you know, as long as it takes to get it done? Very serious. You know, in, in the early days, we were living and sleeping and eating uh, at the ice cream shop. Uh, we were we were sleeping on top of the freezers in the back room. So it was a uh, seven day a week, you know, 10 or 12 hours a day. Well, I guess that's kind of on the short side, but. That's what I'm saying. And Jeffrey Katzenberg said on here, and he got into trouble, I think, about this comment he made years ago. This is not literal, but he said, if you don't, if you don't come in on Saturday, don't bother coming in on Sunday. You know, but that's a true entrepreneur. And I just don't like to sugarcoat things to entrepreneurs because everybody now is about, you know, thinking about all the time that they have off and getting our breaks and all that. You know, there's a whole new, you get, you know, cancellation culture for everything not being totally uh, perfect and in a square box of human resources. Well, that's not what I experienced coming up. And the people that I know that are the most successful, that's not what they experienced either. So however you all want to get it done, I'm just saying true entrepreneurs work their asses off because someone else is willing to work their ass off. Well, you know, the nice the nice thing for Ben and me, uh, you know, doing it together. And I think, well, I can speak for myself. A lot of the reason I was working so hard was I wanted to keep up my end of the bargain with Ben. I knew what he was doing. Ah. I knew he was killing himself and I didn't I didn't want to be the guy letting things down. So, yeah, that's the way it was for both of us. I mean, we were both trying to work as hard as the other guy. You know, people say how hard it is, you know, working with friends or whatever. I think the experience we had was completely the opposite. I mean, we felt so lucky and still do to be working with each other because I mean, you have that trust and you have that personal commitment to your your friendship, your relationship that I think for us goes much, much deeper than the business. And um, how do you think that someone is supposed to determine whether they're really supposed to have a partner or be on their own? Because it's a very different dynamic. Uh, for me, there was never a question about it. There's, <laughs> I mean, even today when Ben and I get to doing stuff together, my first thing to Ben is, yeah, I'll do it if you want to do it with me, but I'm not going to do it on my own. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. 
APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine the feeling of pulsing electric shocks. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. There had to be a time when you didn't really have the money to get the management that you needed to take this thing to the next level and to scale it. How did you, how do you deal with that? And did you know you were going to scale it? Like, what, what are you thinking in that weird purgatory time? You know, uh, I, I think, uh, Benninger's was always under-resourced in, in terms of money or whatever. Until it popped off and you got bought? Yeah, but, you know, at that point, uh, you know, there was, it, it, we weren't running it. I mean, we weren't running it well before then. But you owned it. You had someone else running it well before then, but you owned it. Had you sold off a part to that person? I, I don't think it's bad to not have all the resources you think you need. Same. You find ways to do it. You find smarter, less expensive ways to do things and, and you make it work. It, it makes you think smarter about what you're doing. And it, it, uh, it certainly keeps you focused, right? I mean, you're, you don't get unfocused when, uh, when you're trying to figure out how to get something done that you don't really have the resources to do. How do you know when to hold them and when to fold them? When to sell some, when to let go? Like what, cause I had my own reason for those decisions that involved things that are not sexy, like intellectual property versus money and street cred versus money. So, or just not getting sued versus money. You know, what are the decisions when you're saying, should we sell? We didn't want the company to be sold, even at the point it got acquired. Uh, but what had happened was Ben and Jerry's was a public company. The company started in 1978 as this little homemade ice cream parlor, and the company had a uh, a stock offering just within the state of Vermont. Why? I don't. I just don't understand why. Uh, well, the company needed to raise some money, and uh, Ben found this uh, kind of obscure law in the state of Vermont that said you could sell stock in the company to Vermonters. And the reason we wanted to do that was to uh, give people in Vermont who had been supporting the company an opportunity to become owners of the business. 
And, uh, you know, that way the company would be owned by essentially the local community so that as the business prospered, the owners, the local community would automatically prosper. Wow, that is interesting and very on brand for you guys culturally. Okay, that's right. And 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 then a couple of years after that, the company had a national public stock offering. So that was in about 1985. It's interesting that you say we were on brand for the company's culture. We weren't trying to be on brand. We were just trying to be what we believed in. We were trying to use this need for cash. You know, there were a bunch of venture capitalists that were coming to us saying, we want to invest in your company. And we, we, instead of, I mean, essentially the way we saw that was, it was essentially a bunch of people who already had a whole lot of money who wanted more. Right. You would, you wanted to do like a co-op. We wanted like we're all in this together. We wanted to share the wealth. We wanted to spread the wealth. We wanted people who did not already have a whole lot of money to have a chance to get in on the ground floor. But that was the rose that had petal and thorns because that one move made you end up having to do the IPO, which made you end up having to sell. So it was like a weird journey that you didn't necessarily want to be on. Uh, I don't I don't think that one move uh, required us to have the IPO. I mean, you know, the the national IPO. you know, eventually we did. And, you know, I, I, I think that if we had been a little smarter, uh, we would not have been forced to, to sell the company. But, uh, you know, interesting. We live and we learn, don't we? Wow. So is that, I usually ask later in the conversation, is that your rose and your thorn or that was not a rose at all was that a rose at the time in your high and your low well you know one out of every hundred vermont families bought stock in ben and jerry's uh oh wow totally rosy uh okay so i don't know i mean what you're i mean so you're talking about roses and you're talking about thorns what you want to talk about what was what was what was bad or you're, you're trying to say not what? meaning like a daily fight or like the thing of your careers. I usually ask it later, but it sounds like this is a complicated thing that went down. So usually the rose is like the high of the career. And then, you know, uh, the thorn is the low of the career. You know, I think the low was when the company got sold. Uh, you know, both Jerry and I tried to keep it independent. And I think that's good for people to hear because people always think when they read the headline, somebody sold, that that is like their big payday and everybody's all excited. And there are many things that make people have to do things. There are intellectual property issues that go on with certain people that they end up losing their name and they don't even realize it. There are issues like this that you're talking about where things get out of your hands and people say to me, if I sold half my business now, I'd have a bigger dog collar on my neck, a different person to aunt driving the sleigh. Like, so just for entrepreneurs at home, what would you say? Like, what's the message behind all of this? You can help other people because people all want a big event, you know, a big financial event, and they may be careful what you wish for. You know, I, I, it's funny you ask uh, about the highs and the lows. When I think about Ben and Jerry's, uh, the greatest thing for me is not that the company got successful or made a lot of money or that it uh, the 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 greatest things for me that I think about are the experiences, the relationships. It's all about that. It's it's not that, uh, you know, at one point the company sold X number of dollars of ice cream cones or whatever. It's it's never about that. One of the highs for us was uh, scooping ice cream at Occupy Wall Street. Uh in New York. I mean, I, I felt like, you know, being able to help support that movement by giving ice cream to people and by just lending the credibility of Ben and Jerry's to it, uh, to me was a real high point uh, that I felt like 
this this was why we created this is why Ben and Jerry's came to be. It's um, it, truly I say this all the time. The people that I speak to are truly successful. Nobody is about the money. You can't. I once knew a girl who said, I have to find a product to sell. I, I need to find white space. I'm looking for white space. And I thought, what a moron. Like, it's inside <laughs> of you. You know what I mean? It's inside right. of you. It's what are you passionate about? What do you love? What do you not like? What's bothering you? It's aggravating, whatever it is. Like, that's what true entrepreneurialism is to me. And that's what we're saying. Paul Pullman, who is the former CEO of Unilever, just came out with a book uh, called Net Positive. And it is about how corporations, businesses, what they need to do in our new world is to meet the needs of the society, to deal with the issues of uh, racial injustice, to deal with the issues of economic injustice and the environment, and that it is by using the power of their businesses and integrating those values into their business that they end up becoming successful, high profit businesses. So it's a win-win. You're saying your whole entire business was about what you truly felt and the values were coming through in the brand and the product. So it was based, that's a good foundation. That's a house that's built on a solid foundation is what you're saying. You know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting uh, facet of uh, the human experience that as you give, you receive. Yes. As you help others, you're helped in return. As you authentically As give. Your business supports the community. The community supports your business. I mean, it's nothing more really than uh, the golden rule. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't prove it. You can't prove yeah. that, well, we, we did all this stuff to support the community. And that is why we've become more profitable. But I can tell you that we did do all this stuff to support the community. We did take all these social and political stands and the company kept on getting more and more profitable. Well, that's an amazing construct, but also from what I've read, you also did that internally in your business, like externally in the community, but in your internal community, it was a great workplace. You made that a serious priority, whether you're good quote unquote managers or not, you managed to make sure that the your employees were happy. You know, our company started in 78. Uh, in the 80s, uh, we were giving uh, health care benefits to domestic partners. We had a compressed salary ratio so that the highest paid person didn't get more than five times what the lowest paid person got. Well, I don't know. We just cared about that stuff. I think I think part of it for Ben and me was we had no business training. We we you know, we didn't go to business school, whatever. And and the other thing was uh, we didn't really see ourselves as bosses. We we had much more of a of a worker mentality because we'd always worked for other people. And we wanted to run a company the way we would want to be treated uh, right. I mean, that just kind of makes sense. Right. That's amazing for people listening. Cause it makes people think no one's an expert on anything, which you weren't and which I wasn't. Do you have any, I guess you kind of said your regrets, but any regrets or big mistakes that people could learn from what, the, what you could have done differently that they would do differently. Well, I think we, we used to, and continue to make mistakes all the time. You, you just referenced it yourself that, you know, you have to be trying new things. You have to be taking risks and some sizable percentage of those things don't work. They fail. And you have uh, you wrote uh, Ben, you wrote a book, right? Above the Indeed, law. I did write a book. Uh, it's about uh, what Jerry and I are focused on right now, which is the campaign to end qualified immunity. Uh, you know, there's a there's a loophole in the law whereby if uh, police officers break the law, they get off scot free. They're immune from prosecution. And that's the reason why 
You see uh, the situations where rogue cops will be brutalizing or murdering unarmed black people and they get off with a slap on the wrist or a lot of times they're they're not prosecuted it's because of this particular uh legal doctrine that needs to be overturned so we are part of a coalition now of over two dozen organizations including uh, the ACLU and Americans for Prosperity and uh, the Cato Institute and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund that all understand that this is not just. And, you know, I, th I think the thing that we've been thinking about lately is that, you know, so many people look at this as a black problem, that it's black people that are getting uh, murdered and, and abused. But the reality is that it's a white problem, that we live in a white society. It's a majority white culture. The police who act in our name and with our money are people that we white people put in power. And when they go and screw up, we need to take responsibility and hold them accountable. And so that's that's what we're working on. Fabulous. And are you both in relationships? I don't I didn't read anything about your personal lives. I don't know if you, that's intentional. You don't have to tell me about it. You guys you have kids. What, what are your I got a wife. Lives? I got a daughter. I got a granddaughter. OK. okay. Yeah. And what about you? Ben, I would say that we're very, very happily married, both of us, not to each other, but to to our beautiful wives. And uh, we we both have grandchildren. We're uh, are, the, are your wives friends? Yeah. In fact, we uh, Ben and some other friends and his beautiful wife were over for brunch on on Saturday and we hang out. We're all members of the 251 Club. Uh, you're probably not familiar with the 251 Club. What is that? In Vermont, Bethany, there is, is the a club thing? called the. No, it's. Oh. It's people who go to visit all 251 towns in the state of Vermont. It's the Vermont 251 Club. Oh, that's cool. I thought it was like the, I thought, I thought because you guys live in Vermont, it was that like the pot smoking time. That's that day. <laughs> I don't know what it is. There's a time. It sounded like that. I'm such, so stupid. Well, all right. Well, you live no, in Vermont. That would be the you're getting your number. Oh, right. Sorry. That's on brand. 420, Vermont yeah. Towns 251. Okay, got it. Uh, 420. Yeah, my, my, my beautiful wife and I are actually going on a 251 Club tour through Southern Vermont uh, starting at the end of this week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We'll be visiting. Where in Vermont do you live? Uh, near Burlington, the big city. Near Burlington. Okay, because I love Stowe. It's such a good mountain. Not that far away. And you know what's on the way to Stowe, don't you? I don't, but I It's the Ben and Jerry's now. factory in Waterbury, the number one tourist attraction in Vermont. Oh, well, now I can bring my daughter and tell her that I know you guys and you can get me ahead to jump the line with Bryn for ice cream. Yeah, yeah. We, it, it, we're going to take really good care of you and your daughter, Oh, Bethany, my God, what a great, yay. Okay, I'm going to take her on a road trip to go to the Ben & Jerry. That's amazing. I'm so excited. I'll be like, I, I think your name is probably still pretty valuable around there. Um, wow, what an interesting conversation. I know we had some back and forth ahead of time. Well, wait, um, before I, I just want to tell you, when you come visit the factory, Bethany, you can go visit the Flavor Graveyard. You can go visit some of the dearly departed flavors that are uh, buried right there on the ground. Yeah, you'll meet uh, white, white Russian who was resurrected a couple of times, but they came back from the dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Halloween. It's a perfect thing for you guys to do around Halloween. Bring, bring, bring flavors back from the dead. Yeah, that's right. Such a good conversation. And I appreciate you trusting me. So it was a pleasure. Yes. Thank you for the interesting conversation. Thank you. I'd like to I'd like to hear more about your venture sometime. Awesome. Can okay. men drink skinny girl? Yeah, they certainly can. I, again, I don't I I sold off the skinny girl. I owned the skinny girl intellectual property except for in cocktail. So I kept all the IP. So imagine if you kept Ben and Jerry's in uh, you know, lip gloss and makeup and every, jeans and everything else. That's what I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, we, we we don't have any intellectual property. All we have is ourselves. We have the real Ben and Jerry. You are the Jerry. Ben and Jerry. Awesome. 
Thank you. Have a great day. Good talking to you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was incredible. It's so great when you have a conversation where it goes so well. And at the end, you could tell Ben and Jerry were so happy because they're probably not having conversations like this. And that's what I want this to be. You can have an entertaining takeaway conversation without it being about just hawking products or trying to catch somebody in something. So they were amazing. I now, knowing what I know, the fact that it almost didn't happen this interview, I'm so happy that I pushed through to make everybody feel comfortable. You know, that I'll say this will be the best conversation you're ever going to have. Just have it. And people love it. So I'm so thrilled and I'm so grateful to you. And we keep going and it's so successful. And I just want you to keep rating, reviewing and subscribing because I'm obsessed. Loving these conversations. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 